welcome to episode number 50 of the Light Shed Podcast. I'm Brandon Ross, along with Richard Greenfield and Walter Pysik. What is this music, Brandon? What are we listening to? Oh, it's Fortet. I don't even know what that means. Parallel six. No idea. <laughs> Fortet's a DJ. Do you like it? I mean, I feel like, you know, I feel very zen. Like, it's very, like, chill and relaxing. That's because like, you've been on my vacation. vacation week. That's the reason. Yeah. Yes, Rich. First of all, the reason is when you asked me to um, to find music this morning, the easiest thing for me to do was just to send you the last thing that I listened to on Spotify. <laughs> so that's what you got. However, okay, um, I actually think it's it's a... Uh, it's pretty cool. Do you like it or no? I, look, time? I don't think I would choose to put it on just for the hell of it. I mean, maybe if I was trying to meditate or something. I mean, we have Headspace on Light Shed Live next week, so maybe <laughs> it's maybe that was sort of warming me up for my Headspace, you know, for the Headspace interview. But I don't think I would just pick that as like, hey, I want to chill out this afternoon and listen to some music. No, I, pick I, that. I think I think you might, Rich. I think you should. So, Rich, is that a fake background or is that the? The view from the house you're renting right now. That is the view from the dock in front of the house. That is literally what it looks like. It's pretty nice, right? Yeah, but it's not. But it's, it's a. But it's a picture of it. It's not the actual dock, or is that actually? I am not sitting out on the dock. I took that. Is last it uncomfortable night. for you to not be sitting in front of a green screen? Is it, which is your kind of home away from home, sitting in front of green? Uh, you we know, need to get him a green. I, mean, I don't understand, Rich. So, so you uh, want to flex fair, wait, your no, no. Vac- you want to flex your vacation sure. and the view from the place you rented and everything, but you did a virtual background anyway. Yeah, but that's the, weird. I, I saw on Instagram actually. I got an ad the other day. I have to send it to you guys. It's a green screen that literally clips onto the back of your chair and folds out. So, like, it's a portable. Like, it basically can be hooked onto any chair, so you basically can have a green screen anywhere. But you missed my tweet from earlier this week. Um, one of many you miss. It said, "Heard on Lightshed Zoom." Kind of like you heard, you hear, you have heard on a Goldman Sachs elevator. And yeah. this is true. This was heard on a Lightshed Zoom earlier this week. "Quote: I had a great vacation. The Wi-Fi was awesome." Close quote. <laughs> that one. <laughs> yes, he did. We did threaten to bring that up. The wife. I, I love the it. house we rent. Oh, you did. You actually, yeah. Tweeted. You guys totally missed it. I, oh, I missed it. I yeah. love the house I rented. The Wi-Fi was was awesome. awesome. Sounds like a great vacation, Rich. Holy On that note, cow. should we go to the first slide? No, we shouldn't. Oh, because what did uh, I miss? Sorry. Because last week, yes, we were talking about the fall in in, um, in all those uh, traditional media stocks, Discovery, Viacom, and we didn't know what had happened. So in honor of us um, finding out what happened, uh, my background this week is Bill himself with a very confusing look on his face. Brandon showing for our podcast listeners. um, He's like chief investment officer of Archegos, I guess is how you pronounce it. Um, Archegos. It's interesting. I mean, a stock quadruples, I'd love to... He's confused. I want to know the. I want. I mean, we don't know what happened, but I I certainly would be interested in the investment thesis of kind of what you think after a quadruple. And but I guess that happens. Stocks go up ten x. Well, hold on. But don't you think? Wait, wait, hold on. I thought this was sort of very much Reddit like, meaning the reason the Reddit stocks work right is they find a heavily shorted stock and they basically just keep pressing it. I feel like he was doing it instead of the retail angle. He was doing it from an institutional standpoint because no one could figure out who was causing who was pressuring the shorts higher and higher. Maybe it was just this insane buying literally causing a bigger and bigger short squeeze as the stock moved up because we couldn't figure out who was buying it every day. And so that's the only thing I can deduce is that it, it wasn't a thesis other than just trying to actually manipulate the stock. But who knows? Do You're right. We don't know the answer. Others of stock manipulation. Yeah, I don't know what that. But I, but at least Viacom did take advantage of of it and, and issue some shares. Sure. Well, um, I was surprised, Walt, that others weren't excited by Viacom issuing shares. I mean, to me, it seemed like a no brainer. If your stock is, you know, has basically oh, gone yeah, up fair enough. Three X. How the idea of not raising capital. I mean, imagine if all of this had happened and they hadn't raised capital. How dumb. Would they feel for not having taken advantage of it, especially when you're going into a war with HBO Max and with Netflix and everybody? 
I think Viacom did the right thing. I mean, I know sure, probably, so how many shares no, they, abs- they absolutely did the right thing. If you're if you know your stock is massively overvalued, you issue stock. Sure. And- Transformational. How many shares yeah. have, has GameStop issued? GameStonk. GameStonk. Uh, I don't know. GameStop. Zero. Uh, I could be wrong. AM- I think AMC that- did an ATM. Did GameStop not do one? I don't know. I barely have been following at this point. I do know one thing. I I literally, in the words of Rich, literally cannot look at well, this anymore. So well, we should we, we should just do AMC I'm, just I'm because going, I, I'm, I'm going to jump to back, AMC just because you brought it up. The maroon bells. It just seems like such a nice luscious policy. opportunity to change your business when when people are sure. pushing the stock to a certain level. Well, There's I mean, look, that have pivoted over the years. You, I don't know if you know this, but Nokia once was once a tire company. No, I don't I know. I did not know that. Yeah. Nokia tires, and they pivoted so, to telecom. Well, I don't think AMC is going to pivot. I think you know they've got they entered. They well, they entered, did. They did make an investment in a location based. Um, is it an XR or VR experience this week? That was in 2017. Oh, that was oh. in 2017 that they did. That, that? was in 2017. Uh, yeah, Verizon just did something with them today or this week, but that was a four-year-old oh, okay, investment okay. from AMC. Okay, I was like, "What the fuck?" Okay, oh, they just put them. On you the can see, list. I'm okay, really. So the, so the tweet that's on our screen for our podcast listeners is: AMC is seeking investor approval to issue as many as 500 million new shares, an opportunity for a financial cushion. I don't know if it's a cushion, um, but <laughs> while the theater chain works to bring back moviegoers. So, I mean, do they just use this cash? First of all, obviously, I think a great move by AMC. Of course, if your stock's up to a level that that um, might not be right, then issue just fucking print as much and many shares as you can, <laughs> right? Print, baby, print. Well, I think the question is, is going to be, they have to get approval for this. So they need shareholders to approve it. Obviously, it would be great news for debt holders um, who, you know, I mean, some of this debt is trading at pretty, you know, basically going out of business type levels. But the the crazy thing is, is AMC entered the year with just over a, entered 2020 with just over 100 million shares. They finished 2020 with 450 million shares, and now they're talking about getting an authorization to go up towards a billion shares. So obviously that as, would help as them. They should with their stock. Rich, what are your Twitter? Bucks. What are your Twitter trolls telling you? Since they are now the AMC shareholders from their basements, I, are they going to be voting for or him. are they going to be voting for or against the 500 million shares from the basement? Um, it's a great question because it's obviously a lot of stock to, you know, it's, we're talking stonk. about absorbing, we're, we're talking about absorbing a lot of stock. Uh, so I don't honestly know. Uh, I mean, obviously the stock was down, Hold on, but if you're a Redditor the- trading from your basement, what is the relevance of, first of all, if you remember when you launched on Fubo, people couldn't even figure out the market cap. Actually one analyst couldn't as well, but other people were tweeting at us about, Oh, you got the market cap wrong. Cause they don't understand, right. I guess the share count stock value is based on the price of the stock, not the market cap of the stock, Rich. See, that's the way it works in red. Right. So right, my right, point right. is like, so 500 million shares, what is this word dilution? It doesn't really mean anything. So maybe they just vote for it. Maybe. And look at the end of the day, um, that will help AMC not be a zero. So that would certainly, you know, we would be wrong in terms of their ability to pay back their debt. They would actually be able to pay back most of their debt. The problem would be with a billion shares outstanding and EBITDA in decline. The best case scenario is maybe the stock is worth a couple of bucks. Maybe it's worth three bucks, but it's certainly the risk reward relative to, to $9 today. It's either going to zero and filing or it's going to be diluted down to almost nothing, uh, meaning you know, single so digits, low single digits. Okay, so you're talking about two, three dollars. Yeah, share. I mean, that's that, that's the best case. The best so case if everything go out goes and right. Recommend investors approve the the share issuance then, because it would increase your price target to whatever $3. the number is, two, three dollars. Um, to from what would it? What's it a now? Penny. Oh, penny. penny. That's right. Penny. I I. This is a great potential um, equity value creation opportunity for them from a penny to whatever, $1.50. Two to three bucks. (laughs) So, but what's interesting about sort of this whole AMC thing is it's kind of set and juxtaposed. I'm going to read um, this tweet because I think it was pretty interesting, Walt, for AT&T this week, sort of validation of what Stanky and and Kylar have been working on. It is, this is from Jatesh Pandya. 
monster opening day box office in North America for Godzilla vs. Kong, which soared to 9.6 million on Wednesday, by far the biggest opening day of any film during the pandemic. And a one day gross even beat out almost every opening weekend for other films over the past year, notably 25% from premium large format slash IMAX screens. So, you know, I sort of have two reactions. One, clear validation that even when you make a film available for free on a streaming service, people still want to go to the see it in a theater. So it, it just argues that short release windows or no release windows make a lot of sense. And I think it's interesting that AT&T is the only company that's come to that strategy. Disney's still trying to charge $30 more for certain films By the way, versus oh, just also, throwing them in. A Wednesday release, $9.6 million? Is actually it's a big number. Good. So it sounds like people are dying to go back to the movies. Do you think that, Rich? I do. Like, I think people are, first of all, I think people are just dying to get out of the house right now. Um, but you look, the, 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 the thing that has me intrigued by this is just the idea that it is helping the studios gain comfort that they don't need, they can keep theatrical. Maybe it won't be the theatrical business of two years ago, but people will still go to the theaters, even if those movies are available in the home. And I think that's the, that's what's so encouraging from my standpoint. And what I think is the disruptive element of this is if I'm a studio exec, I'm looking at this going, well, why wouldn't we do this too? Like, why wouldn't Disney push the envelope? And we have a tweet here from Matt Bologna, who, um, um, you know, wrote just talked to a Pixar friend who says Luca and soul movies, sorry, Luca and soul moves to Disney plus have been demoralizing for employees. Forget theaters. were not even good enough for an upcharge. And it just strikes me that that's the wrong logic. Like they're looking at this going, this is bad. We're not worthy of a $30 upcharge like Raya or black widow versus going, Oh my God, we added a ton of new subscribers to our service. We're making people happy. And this is going to allow Disney Plus to raise pricing. I just don't think I don't think the the I don't think Hollywood truly understands subscription economics, Brandon. Like, I think that's what surprises me is that they don't see the power of what's being created. Yeah, because they're just I mean, we've talked about this so many times, right? Um, they are it's always safety first in Hollywood. They know what they know. And it's very ego driven. Right. And that's that's why they're not open to change the way they should be. But it's just math. They don't know. Right. It's just math that they never they never learn this math. This is totally different math than they're used to. Well, I mean, (laughs) the math is out there. They've seen Netflix. They've seen Disney Plus. They should uh, they understand what um, big SFOD businesses can mean. Not that Disney Plus is like, you know, really profitable, but. So can we go back to the AMC thing? Because you just went yes. kind of right into Disney. Um, the, the $9 sure. million you said is a big number. Is that a big number in a pre-pandemic world? For a Wednesday. For a Wednesday. Yeah. So even I mean, in a for, pre-pandemic for like world, a random, $9 million is for big? For a random Wednesday, like opening? I mean, I don't know. Was it just like... I mean, look, I, I'll push back, Brandon. It was a holiday week. There's lots of kids. I mean, schools are mostly closed. Oh, it's spring break in New York. Right, so the schools are closed like in New York, in New York. Yeah. We don't are California schools closed. I don't think Midwest schools closed. I don't think so. It's Easter week. So there are some, some vacations, even private schools in some of the cases are not closed this week. Um, so I don't know. So nine, I don't know. That's inter- That's good feedback on the night. So a friend of mine did go to go to it. Um, it was sold out, um, but sold out yeah. meant 20 seats. Of the hundred or so seats that are that were available at the local AMC in in Texas, I don't know if it was AMC. It was whatever the theater was, right? So, yeah, you're right, Brandon. It could it could it could vary um, by market, but I think to compare this, that's I was asking about the nine relative to um, pre-COVID because, like, relative to other COVID movies, clearly the country is much further along um, in kind of the recovery now. And obviously, to your point, there's pent up demand, so I think early numbers are certainly going to be much better. And then it'll probably fade a bit. And also Godzilla is a, a highly anticipated movie for sure. But I think to your point, like whatever the number is, nine, seven, 10, like it just, to your point, it just shows you that like, okay, it didn't, Jason didn't kill the movie industry, right? People yeah, who uh, wanted to go to the theater sure. did, and those that didn't, yes. didn't. That is and, and, the single big like that is a that's a watershed takeaway like that. But that it, it's watershed, of, but Jason retreated on it. Well, 
<laughs> right? I mean, next well, year. Well, maybe he could flip flop the other way now and just given these seeing these numbers. And my other I question mean, it's I, just what, one, it's it's one Wednesday. You know, uh, hold on, it's guys. a nice, you're forgetting it's a one nice other, number. You're also forgetting one other stat. Like, there's basically no other movies out. Like, so you're that's still a, benefiting that's from a the great, fact. That's actually a, like, a great point. Like, but the interesting when we say nine million offset by the point that you have limited capacity and all this other stuff, and some states there's different views than other states. Well, the other interesting thing to hopefully we'll get some color on from ATT is how did this do relative to Wonder Woman in terms of the views that were at home? Like, was there any mix shift? Like, does nine million materially impact? The kind of viewing that was done at home and was it a, right you know that's probably a better record a better uh, reflection of how big of a movie it was or is right because if you had if you had similar viewing at home because wonder woman actually had pretty good viewing at home if you had similar viewing at home and you did substantially more box office this is really encouraging for but for i doubt that it would I, I would i would doubt that that's going to be the case because i mean it was christmas day like people were yeah. it was event like I don't, i'm going to probably watch godzilla either today or Sometime later this um, this weekend. Um, so, but that that might have been a different type of setup. But we'll say, hopefully, AT&T provides some info on that. Let's move into uh, a different topic, Brandon. Sports betting. Okay, I'll read it out. This is from the Sports Handle Twitter account at Sports underscore Handle. After two years <laughs> of continuing. Continued frustration among industry stakeholders and bettors. New York appears close to reaching a deal on mobile sports betting. Um, This is obviously good news for everyone in the uh, sports betting ecosystem, including venues and media companies that are going to stand to benefit from sponsorship dollars. The big question here, though, is what form um, sports betting takes in New York, because the governor, Cuomo, the uh, the scandalous Cuomo himself, has the idea that this should be done through the lotto model, which is essentially a single operator with three or four skins, which doesn't make for a very competitive marketplace versus what the Assembly and State Senate um, have approved, which is a much more open system where you're going to have you know, 13, 14, 17, however many. And, and, and just to be clear, I want to stop you for a second, Brandon, because sure. if it is a lotto model, like we have in a couple of other states, I think what New Hampshire, there's a couple of states, I think, I think have D, that model. I think DC, like look at DC, right? And, huh? you know, not having a, com- a competitive model definitely puts a damper on handle. Um, at, and mobile not and it raises and it raises out there taxes are higher the too right dollars the taxes are much higher which also kind of you know uh limits the must market. dampen but, handle right but, but look look at the handle in those markets i think a really good example actually is dc where they have a single operator single skin model but if you're a sports venue then you can have a sports book and you could have mobile, your own mobile app that works within two blocks of the venue. And in February, 75% of the handle in the entire city happened at, at the venue <laughs> for, at um, where the um, uh, Capitals and I almost said Bullets, where the Wizards play. Um, so it, it's definitely limiting. I think everybody, um, whether it's, the books themselves, the media companies, um, or the likes of MSG, the venue owners, hope that it's, you know, there's a much uh, bigger, uh, much more skins available. We'll say this, though, New York, in the right scenarios, will be, you know, by far the biggest sports betting market in the country. We were running some numbers the other day. It could be 15 billion of handle, like right out of the gate. And New York City itself, the DMA could be like 13 billion in handle. And when do you think we're going to know more? I, th- I mean, hopefully by Monday. Like the budget was supposed to be done yesterday, April 1st, for fiscal 22. And there's still negotiations going on. There's only so far they could push it. Sounds like they're in negotiations about this. And uh, and we'll see. Okay, let's move on to the next slide. 
which also ties to sports betting. Uh, hold on. Why is this screwing up? Sorry about that. Uh, now I'm better. So uh, Sarah Fisher tweets, DraftKings has acquired VSIN, Vegas Sports Information Network, a sports betting broadcast and content company. Vissin develops, produces, and distributes up to 18 plus hours of live linear sports betting content each day. We met this company a long time ago. This is Brett know, we saw them son. In the, we saw them in the pre-seed when we were at BTIG. They just yeah. kind of had a, a deck. And um, I think we could have invested in past. Well, they, they always wanted to basically be the, they, they essentially wanted to be sort of the, the ESPN of sports betting. Like they basically wanted to create video content tied to sports betting and be a content company. I have no idea what the takeout price was or how significant it was. I know. But it, I, that's the thing, right? <laughs> it, it may have been a small number, but but the point is still there is a clear trend that we've been talking about week after week on the podcast of content and sports betting are merging day after day. We're seeing more examples. Yeah, it's just the books need to differentiate from each other. They're willing to spend you know a lot on customer acquisition because the LTVs have been like, you know, four times CAC, which is a lot higher than anyone envisioned, which is why there's such a big opportunity for legalization in New York for third parties. Let's um, let's hit uh, our favorite topic, uh, which is you're sort slow of today in changing these slides, Rich. Is this yeah, a I'm a little slower. Is this a vacation? My back. No, it's my back. I'm how, just like very uncomfortable. How did today. you hurt your back, Rich? It's just literally bending down. I mean, it's probably from doing <laughs> kayaking. To be fair, no, I'm going to be honest. Why don't you tell everyone exactly how you hurt? Bending down to pick up the dog. <laughs> it's embarrassing. It's very embarrassing. So. Walt is laughing. What's it, Walt? Actually, what's your satellite background this week? Uh, we had an initiation this week, Brandon, and on Iridium, which is definitely an interesting IoT play. I mean, this is it was the twenty-year anniversary. I didn't know this when we launched coverage, but it was apparently the twenty-year anniversary of when they restarted service. This 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 is a company that goes back to the Motorola days. Motorola spent like a year and then just gave actually less than a year. Motorola launched less than a year later. They said, ah, fuck it. We give up, you know, claim bankruptcy. Let's, let's send the satellites into the back to earth. Everyone, Al Gore, like freaked out that like, oh my God, there's going to be debris falling from the sky. <laughs> military, military saves it. Did he think it was going to pierce the ozone? They thought that, <laughs> that there was like a very low percentage chance that satellite parts would like hit something. But anyway, <laughs> the government saved it. And then it filed bankruptcy. It's actually a SPAC back to like 2000 and God knows what year, 2002, one of the original SPACs, maybe not the original SPAC, the, but. Well, one of the first big SPAC waves was back then. I mean, I remember that. SPACs before SPAC was the new black. But then <laughs> look, they launched a new satellite. It's they've, it's now it's like, so this company went from BK to generating enough free cash flow to, to buy stock back. Um, pretty interesting. And, there, and there's actually some apps um services built on top of it that are you're going to see headlines i would think within the next couple of months about how your flight from new york to london is going to get shorter because they can help planes fly faster wow. and more direct well i explained and that. remember how that malaysia that, wait, remember, wait, wait, remember, okay, wait, hold on explain what does that mean no how, i how this, now faster? i'm in, now i'm in, usually no, there, some there of your stuff is a little esoteric for me now i'm like Think about um, there used to be like a highway of, of planes and you'd have to go kind of one after the other. Now, yeah. if you can track them better and you can and you can connect them better, the planes, the planes can fly closer together and more direct routes without worrying about things colliding. Other. Right. So your flights are going to get shorter. It's going to save more fuel. Um, it's really a, kind of a, a compelling, a compelling service for sure. Yeah. It's fast. And by the way, the other one is remember that Malaysian airline that just disappeared. Yes, that won't happen. That will never again. happen again. Like that won't happen. I don't say we'll never, but like once these planes are all outfitted with this technology that effectively connects to these Iridium satellites, you know, planes are, aren't just going to disappear <laughs> into the, you know, and never be able to be found again. Anyway, that's a new buy rate so, stock. For you. So, so talking about colliding, um, we have a collision of basically every 
audio-based company colliding with Clubhouse because it looks like we've got Spotify buying a company called Locker Room App, which I, I assume it, it's basically I was, sports yeah, I talk was radio. Using, yeah, I was using Locker Room in beta, kind of like when we were we first started using Clubhouse. Um, at the time, it was just, you know, it's just sports focused. Yeah, I it was there's no reason it needs to be ultimately. I mean, it could be artist no, ultimate, focused. No, I mean, it ultimately, could be, it could be anything. They definitely need a lot of help on the tech side. Obviously, Spotify is a much bigger um, company with a lot of engineering talent and a lot of dollars at their disposal to build on what Locker Room's built. I mean, Locker Room itself wasn't that wasn't that compelling because it didn't really ever get the. Um, I mean, it's all about the. Uh, like any kind of like social network who's on it and how often and they never really got there and the tech was a little crappy but spotify can clearly change that i think what's interesting about this is that spotify is actually keeping it as a as a separate app and not integrating it in well for for now which i like no i reason i I bring that that up rich i I understand because i I like to have a, a destination a purposeful destination you know for for um, each of the apps that I use on mobile. I understand, but this is a monumental week for another reason. Walt is going to remember this. What app died this week, like actually went away? Anyone oh, okay. know? Periscope was actually taken oh, right. down this week, finally. I was actually so Periscope using it is now as, fully. As most recently as last week, but like the last time something like Periscope was killed by Twitter, wasn't it um, Vine? And Vine effectively recreated itself in, in some different ways. So yeah, just you, a little you, way. If Peri- so what was it? Periscope and Ben's company, uh, Meerkat, Meerkat. Were, Meerkat, did the same thing. Uh, Meerkat was, you know, utilizing the Twitter graph. So they killed it. They literally shut off, shut them off from the Twitter graph, bought Periscope, brought it in and ruined it. <laughs> no, What's I don't I mean, it's, it's but it's the fun. It's the foundation of everything that's inside of Twitter video now. I mean, they just basically co-opted it. Right. What's fascinating about all of these movements to replicate Clubhouse and Spaces, I think, had some talking about changing and doing notifications or whatever, is when I've gone back to Clubhouse, um, it doesn't seem like the usage, at least the people that I follow, that they're just not going back as much. Now, granted, maybe the overall Clubhouse numbers are still skyrocketing skyrocketing well, we, excuse me we, know they're, we actually know they're not because there was some download info that came out from a couple of data services in the past week and downloads have very materially dropped but beyond downloads brandon i'd be interested in understanding how the active usage is doing because again when i used to i used to check out every night and before you would see you can see basically people that you follow have they been on in the last 15 minutes or two hours and there's a lot less usage of the people that I follow. Now, that's a small subset. Maybe other people are, are remaining as active, but I, I look at those rooms and you've heard me on this podcast before kind of criticize kind of the, the garbage rooms that exist, but there was always that room at the top, maybe that Elon was on or that, you know, Shiram was on who was interviewing someone very Shiram, interesting. Yeah. I don't see which, them as much, which, he, which, so, which just still, leaves garbage. still has um, good time. Good time is still on every night. Okay. Um, who are his guests because you don't hear the same buzz about it on Twitter, uh, you know, in terms of his guests. So is he just not getting as good a guest? I mean, it's hard to replicate Elon. He came, he also (laughs) came out of the the gate. Well, Zuck was on what a week or two ago. Right. So, but but I'm saying like, how often can you have super high profile? You're you're right about that. The question here is, is clubhouse a, does it have a place as a distinct use case? Right. And can an ecosystem be built on top of that sort of informal serendipitous audio chat or not? I happen to believe and I know the numbers right now are probably proving me wrong. I happen to believe that there is a place um, for it and that with product development and um, some format stability, shall I call it, and the emergence of um of influencers on the plat like platform endemic to it um you will have something there but i could be wrong i'll be it'll be interesting to see how things progress there 
You want to talk about Discord for a second, Brandon? Because that was the other one yeah, that launched I mean, this week that I thought I, was pretty well, interesting. Disc, this is actually very native to what Discord is evolving into. Because it's an audio right? platform. An audio platform where people are having conversations anyway, right? right. So I think that- Live, this, live conversations, yeah, right. This, this, <laughs> exactly. Discord <laughs> is actually the one- among all the others, and I know you're like, you think Twitter spaces because of the graph um, and, you know, Facebook has 2 billion users, whatever it may be. I actually think that Discord is, and not a small, you know, 140 million MAU, um, is the one competitor that could win this. Space. I agree. Because the people are already there. They're already doing that. Exactly. It's just providing them another And, and, and the destination still means the same thing and that's what i keep going back to this what, like purpose-driven singular app and this fits into the mission uh, of what's happening on discord and, and look at the end of the day like if they if there are rooms within discord that interest me which currently there aren't my kids use it for you know stuff that i don't give a shit about but like I could definitely see myself now entering into that where I haven't haven't been before. So they can expand their already. What was the number you said, Brandon? One hundred and forty million. I thought it was like that. I, yeah. What's the demo I, on I that? Is be... it mostly kids or like millennials or like what is that? No, it's no, like, pretty wide. I mean, it's, it's, it's gamers. It's gamers so of all ages. Right. Gamers. Gamers are not wide. Game. Sorry, they just aren't for so many different things. Look at even like what's happening on Patreon and subscriptions, and some of the um, creators are yeah. like. Yeah, we'll do what we, you. This gets you into my private Discord. The and, question uh, is, is there going to be a branding post. issue? Because someone like myself associates Discord with my kids and gamers, and like, you know, does that impact them it's at been, all? It has been getting wider. Well, yeah. um, they're, they're I mean, like just like Twitch, classes. Twitch is now less than Twitch is less than half gaming now. Right. That's true. So, you know, I mean, I think Discord is sort of following that Twitch trend of like, it's just going chatting to creators. is continuously the biggest category in Twitch every time I, I I pull it up. So maybe what Twitter should be doing is partnering with someone like Discord, who's got kind of a lead, and you know, adding that as a purpose-driven app, to Brandon's point, but somehow integrating Twitter into the rooms that can probably – and just the embrace graph. that rather than try and do something on their own. But we'll see. It's early. I don't know. It's just hard to believe. It, Facebook, it is Instagram. Early. It is right. early. Yeah, it's just it's. It, I guess it's hard for me to believe in twelve months we're going to be talking about Clubhouse the way we have been over the last few months, <laughs> given the explosion of other audio choices. It's already changed in in a month. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I know. If we went back to episode forty, I'm sure we'd have a very different view still, of where we honestly, are today. I still truly believe in this format, and I believe I that that it is best. But your eyes have in, opened up to the it, competitive set the way that they didn't the, on week one. Hundred percent, you guys were right about that. Um, I think that again, Discord though is is a much more natural yeah, transition and place for this than like a Twitter or Facebook or whatever. Uh, okay, the next slide I've been looking forward to for a while. Um, I'm just going to read it. I know it's your company, Walt, but I just can't. I can't help but get excited. Team, this is Bloomberg take, Technology. No, give Walt the pleasure of reading this. No, okay, fine. No, Rich can do it. Okay. Look at him. He's, he's just, he's, look, well, he's just chomping he's at smiling. the thing. Well, here's, what's, here's what I find funny about this. And I, I have a bunch of questions for Walt. T-Mobile, this is Bloomberg Technology. T-Mobile will shut down its T-Vision live TV service and offer YouTube TV at a promotional discount, ending a three-year effort to create an alternative to cable. The, the way I wanted to start this was they bought a company called Layer 3. And they spent several hundred million dollars. And I know probably in the scheme of the company, $300 million is not huge, but they tried to enter with like a set-top box, a regular, you know, high-end set-top box. Then they partner with a company called Moby TV, which was trying to resurrect itself from the dead to create this T-Vision product that sort of felt like a- Sprint had some money into Moby TV, but that's fine. Keep going. Oh, is is that, so that's the connection to Moby TV? It's possible, but like, whatever. I mean, the- Let's go back to the box, though. It wasn't a terrible idea if they stuck with the original plan, which was to integrate an LTE chip into the box so that when you think about, you know, 5G home from Verizon and T- and T- even T-Mobile home, the theory was like, okay, this box is going to give you your broadband, 
but also your pay TV. But what happened was, as you know, they came out with this box and the remote was fucking like it had, it looked like a direct TV remote. Like it had all these legacy buttons that had no actual function for the service and the service itself right. was just bad as you know, we, we don't need to, to rehash that. So I mean, it was, but it, it's funny that they revert now to YouTube TV, which is also who Verizon is using. So then the question, which I think you brought up, Rich, we wrote in our 10 questions for Verizon's investor day is like, why do you, why do you even try with Fios TV? Like they're not investing in it. All of my friends saying are complaining about it. Just like I complain about direct TV. People are complaining about the set top box for Fios. Like, just fucking give up and just bundle YouTube TV or sling with, with your services. And the reason that makes so much sense, Walt, right. is like, as we've talked about for the rat, the rationale behind our short on Fubo is the core business of like aggregating cable networks is a gross margin zero to right. negative business. So why not let YouTube lose money at worst? You give a little bit of a discount the way T-Mobile is doing because of the bundling benefit, you kind of absorb the marketing cost and just offer YouTube a little bit cheaper. They are also all partnered with Philo, which is a competitive um, sort of non-sports VMVPD. But you give one or, you know, give a service away or give any of these services away and let somebody else lose the gross margin because it's not really a good business. Right. And dude, I think I, don't I, think, understand it goes, I think it goes beyond margin. I think at some point it goes to um, uh, it it goes to I, I want to call it anti churn, but that's actually not it. It's called it. It becomes a churn retention. <laughs> so these cable guys have always talked about the fact that <laughs> if you if you bu- anti retention, you, you if you bundle something that lowers the churn, a metric that they don't report. Um, so but at some point, like if your pay TV service within the bundle is garbage relative to what you see at your friend's house who's using YouTube YouTube TV or something else, then you're saying, all right, fuck it. I'm going to go to YouTube TV because it's better. Well, while I'm changing things, why don't I change X, Y, and Z? So like oh, it, okay. it, at some point, if you so don't- it's, So it backfires, you're saying. Right. Either evolve your product, DirecTV or, or you know, YouTube or whatever, or excuse me, um, the cable guys or Fios or partner with with someone that has the technology that people are going to be wanting going forward in terms of consuming their content. Look, I, I couldn't agree more. And it just this concept of offer the best quality service. And if you think about it, especially as a mobile company, you want what works the best on a mobile device. If you're Verizon, like I think T-Mobile gets it right. Like this work, YouTube TV works better on a mobile device than any other service. Brandon and I use it all the time. Like it really works. They got it a Why little would, bit late, but yes, sure. they get it. And At look, let's give, let's give T-Mobile credit because they, they were the ones that began the bundling of video content from a streaming standpoint with the wireless. With sure. Netflix One Us was the pivotal change in terms of the wireless operators and the things that they're adding to the bundle. This was a mistake. Sure. Clean it up. I think they could have admitted it better and say we truly fucked up, but they they positioned it as all companies do and say like, oh yeah, you know, closer with Look, you know the, Google. The most important thing, as we know from stocks, is admitting when you're wrong and moving on. Sure. And I wouldn't call I it a true was, admission, but they did at least change and not stick with something that was not working. At the same time that um, T-Mobile is making YouTube TV cheaper, uh, I think what's funny about this, I'm going to read this from the streamable. With the addition of Marquee, which is the Cubs sports network in Chicago, all Fubo TV customers in the Chicago market and surrounding areas will see a $6 a month RSN fee added to their account. Uh, we've seen, <laughs> you know, Marquee charges $6.50. So it's actually even less than what Fubo well, is that's, passing that's along. One, that's one way for Fubo to get some sports content on there. Just add sports content to the sports and, content service and charge more for it. Yeah. Huh? Uh, <laughs> well, there's no incremental uh, margin on that. Like, even we don't know what the what the trends what the terms were between them and Marquee, but how no, much incremental? I, it's just no, incremental it, it doesn't matter profit. about incremental yeah. margin. It's just they were pitching a oh, I guess, a, yeah. a service that's you know centered around sports and sports betting and didn't have it like any sports content. And the idea for Fubo is to kind of break even um, on a gross on a gross margin basis for the core. Um, MVP, VMVPD business, and then to make money on things like sports betting and and uh, advertising. So it makes sense for them to do it. It's just kind of weak sauce, the way well, relative to their marketing pitch. 
And you're also now up to $71 for the core service in Chicago. So <laughs> you just keep you keep edging high. I mean, if you get a Comcast triple play in Chicago, my guess is, you know, especially any type of promo rate, you're getting a better rate. Or by the you way, are. YouTube TV, which is a much better service. You, you wouldn't get marquee, though. So you wouldn't get the Cubs in oh, Chicago because they no, dropped right. those. You're right. You're right. So if you're a diehard Cubs fan, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. If you're a diehard Cubs fan, just subscribe to T-Mobile, get MLB TV for free, and then you can watch your Cubbies that way. Well, that's true. Um, okay, let's move on to uh, Universal. There's a, This is scoop out of Lucas Shaw saying Universal is leaning towards pulling its movies from HBO and Netflix starting next year and keeping them for Peacock. The reason I put this in this week. No is shit. We discussed it last week, right? When we, well, when we discussed like, a different you know, angle on we, it. Yeah, but when Universal was going to do their own SVOD service, clearly that meant the output deal was going away. So I don't know if this is for Peacock, the AVOD service, or you know maybe Peacock or whatever they're going to call it, the SVOD service. But we were kind of keen to the, the fact that this was probably likely. Yeah, and I think if you're HBO, given the way sort of they've positioned themselves, this is exactly what I think you've been planning for, right? Like you had to assume the reason that's, you know, that, that the team at Warner Media and AT&T have been focused on spending more and investing more is that they had to assume that there was a good shot that movies from their peers. I mean, Fox is not going to keep their movies because Fox is now owned by Disney. So we know those movies are going away. We sort of assumed at some point Universal would make the same decision, although, you know, Universal doesn't really have an S5. I mean, Peacock's not really an S5 service, but, you know, Walt made a great point last week. If Peacock isn't working the way it is, maybe just pivot Peacock and make it more into sort of like an HBO Max and sort of maybe diminish the, the AVOD portion of the plan relative to where they are today. I mean, I guess that's possible in terms of where they're going. It also just sort of speaks to like, why don't WarnerMedia and HBO Max just merge? Like, or sorry, WarnerMedia and NBC Universal just merge because rather than launching and trying to compete, it seems like there's so much logic to putting them together. But I, we don't have to rehash that. It's just sort of strikes me. I think me we do like, have to rehash it and bring it up every week. It's fucking crazy. I know. It, it's the more crazy. I think about it, it's just like, uh, it's just. Whatever it's kind of like what we what we said with HBO Max and 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 uh, putting I, I putting knew you were going to go there. Well, you, look, we we fucking we we bang that drum week after week after week, and finally they fucking did it with Wonder Woman. And look at the numbers that, they put yeah. up on it, and then they reversed on it. So I think we should bring this up every week. What the no, hell is Comcast so doing? <laughs> Why don't you bring up every week that they that Jason reversed on it, and he shouldn't have done that. Look, we what do they say? Fail fat. No, he didn't fail, but but you know, changing it's it's okay to change. It's fine. You don't have to stick with something. Change that brand too. Uh, Peacock's a terrible brand. <laughs> Come on, it, it really is. Terrible. Rich, you it's loved terrible. it because of the Peacock song. You remember? We, we should have that we, for our we, outro we, music. We, the Peacock song. All right, let's go next. Okay. Sorry, you guys totally got that me was, off my That was the that best one. TikTok ever. I love that one. Uh, have we played so that? that have we played that? TikTok no, we have not on, done line on the podcast deadline Netflix near a $400 million deal for knives out two and three Daniel Craig and director Ryan Johnson reprising their roles. The reason I have this in is just, it sort of ties to this idea of movies going away, you know, third, third party movies or output deals going away. It just pushes more and more pressure on Netflix to do original movies and, you know, continuing to put real dollars. Like when we think about, the next leg of growth for Netflix movies to us are the big one. And I think if anything, Hollywood normalizing short windows. I mean, I know Brandon, you're upset that Warner's doing a 45 day window in 2022, at least for their big movies, but just normalizing shorter windows, whether it's 17 days, 30 days, 45 days, the shorter the windows are, the better it is for Netflix. Cause I think it just making more and more talent will feel like, Hey, well, Netflix is going to have, could have some type of short window and they have more global reach than any of these other platforms. And so it just it actually plays to Netflix's advantages the more the other studios cut windows down. Because Netflix is going to have the most amount of money to spend on content versus their peers. And I think the Knives Out purchase is just yet another example of that. It also shows you how sort of the quality of the people they're working with on the movie side keeps getting better and better. Indeed. But I want you to read the next one, Brandon, because I know you love this topic. Alex Heath 
Scoop, Snap is planning a big hardware push, starting with AR Spectacles in May. But unlike past models, the glasses will be aimed at AR devs slash creators rather than consumers. It has also kickstarted a years-long project to build a camera drone. Snap is an AR company. They are. I'm not really still sure what that means, though. Like, if you unpack that, I don't know if I fully understand AR spectacles aimed at devs and creators. So I guess. No, I think I think that's no, that's the way to do it, because if you think about the original snap spectacles, right, what could they only did what snap wanted? It it did what it only did one thing, though, which was record um, video in a which was kind of creepy, actually. Right. If you think that AR is going to you know, and mixed reality is going to be a thing and that there are a lot of uses for it in the real world, whether just you're build walking, a platform. walking just down build the a platform. street and getting information on uh, a restaurant that you pass or whatever other applications there are going to be um, uh, for wearables, then put it in the hands of the devs to figure out what those applications are. Yeah, That's luck all. Com- good luck competing you bring with it Apple. Consumers. Yeah, I mean, look, with Apple. look, Apple's going to do theirs, um, and it, they definitely, you know, everyone develops for them anyway. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Look at that ecosystem of developers that that Apple has, and so Snap's going to compete with that. But the point is, they'll just like put spectacles, or in this case, um, what do they call theirs? Were there spectacles? I think, that, yeah, I think that's right. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So just spectacles. put spectacles out there with one single use case um, as like wasn't wasn't good enough. It wasn't going to have any lasting power. So let's build um, some use cases and then put it in the hands of consumers. Make you sure. are a mean person. I mean, mean like just brutal. <laughs> how did you find uh, that? brutal I that mean, quickly? You Holy are shit. you are just a horrible how you, person. How did you find that? Well, that quickly. I have I mean, a lot of this stuff. I got a couple of you on on just in queue and ready to go for our podcast listeners. I have a, a a selfie that Rich took in his spectacles. From uh, are the Google Glass ones coming up next? I have I'm, Google Glass ones back. around. I don't even know where my my Google Glass is somewhere. I got to find that. So, so when Kevin Mayer became non-executive chairman of the zone, um, he basically was basically pretty clear that international was going to be the focus and they were going to retreat from the U S to not try to get into the battles of U S programming. So this is a tweet from the zone this past week, the new home of Italian football the zone has acquired the rights to broadcast all of series, Syria, including seven out of 10 exclusive matches per match round in Italy from 21 to 24. And so, you know, here is, you know, a prime example of how DAZN is using their their resources to enter, the, you know, and essentially take over sports rights from existing players, whether that be Sky or I mean, you look across um, companies like, you know, Discovery and Eurosport, you're really seeing DAZN step in in Europe and try to be a major player in a way that is just too hard here in the U.S. to step in. I think the cost the rights and the you know just the, the longevity of rights packages makes it much harder but the zone is clearly trying to build you know sort of a a direct to consumer sports streaming outside the US that really nobody else i mean sort of we we laughed at the zone 2 years ago because it seemed like they were sort of floundering with the kind of a crazy US strategy now it's all starting to make sense as they sort of bulk up overseas brandon i mean at least that is what it sort of feels like there's sort of something happening i mean uh, we'll see Obviously, it's still a long way to go, but I, I feel like I finally start to understand where they're going now. Yeah, they're focused on international rights. We'll see how it, it plays out. And it's generally a much less competitive landscape, as we've seen with every rights deal. Because of the lack of competition internationally, you've had actual downward pressure on on sports rights. Well, that's what's crazy, where, right? Like where we they, haven't seen those US, down rounds here. No, we haven't. In the U.S., they keep going higher because that there is still that legacy MVPD ecosystem and networks basically realize that their only chance for viewers is sports rights here. And so because of that, the way that's playing out, prices keep escalating, whereas abroad, you didn't have um, that pay TV ecosystem. So it's mostly, you know. Uh, smaller um, 
pay TV world plus over the top um, providers that are competing and prices are going down. So yeah, makes sense. Now what? Everyone's like, quiet. let's move on to NFTs. We have to let every week we have to have some level of NFTs. So here's your NFT for the week, Brandon. This is all you. This is the Sports Business Journal. Um, SeatGeek Chief Product Officer Eric Waller says the company is developing NFT products with the goal to have a digital collectible and possibly a marketplace available before the end of the year. It makes a ton of sense to attach NFTs to, to ticketing. Why? Right? Just, what, I mean, give just us the think about logic. the ticket. The ticket stub is a collectible. Um, in and of itself. So yeah, having, but it was a collectible. A digital, um, tickets up. There's there's two aspects I think to collectibles. Right. One is price speculation, and the other is the flex of of owning it and being able to show it off. Okay, and. I think I actually I take a different a digital, angle. I think digital, it's more about what else you can attach to it. Like, what are the other rights that come with a ticket? Do you get access to special merch? Do you get act like oh, you okay. you're, oh you're talking about blo- you're talking about blockchain applications? Though. Well, I'm just I'm thinking, talking about this- I'm talking about NFTs in um. If, I guess you could, yeah, you could have other well, applications. Explain I, what I'm you're, just saying, and, you're saying. Well, I'm just basically saying if if you have a digital ticket. Yeah, that digital ticket is also tradable. So I can buy all, t- an NFT. All, t- all tickets are first of all, all tickets are tradable. Second of all, Live Nation Ticketmaster and pretty much everyone else has developed digital ticketing. Right. So sure. there there is a ledger attached to it, even though it isn't on the blockchain. So at putting it on the blockchain, what ability does that add for you? Look, if you if you can show that you have this NFT, the look, collectible so you have a ticket, aspect, you have I the co- you have the collectible ticket. Does anybody with a collectible? Do you get first dibs on the next concert? Do you get special access to concert tickets the next year? Or you know, if you're you know, just I think about sort of that that there could be many rights, whether it's merch, whether it's VIP. I mean, you think about sort of the VIP Nation, which is Live Nation's VIP club. Imagine what you could do with that conceptually if it was all tied to an NFT, you know, and you could track ownership of that ticket and trade ownership of that, you know, ticket stub effectively, it could actually have far more value than just quote unquote, a collectible the way you're talking about. I know that's thinking out yeah. of the box. I'm just no, no, trying it's to think not about the, where no, this goes. No, no, no. You're, I, you're also moving in the, in the right direction. Um, I think what's interesting though, is actually disruptive to Live Nation because, because Ticketmaster Live Nation is kind of, the central, almost everyone uses Ticketmaster for ticketing. They have the database of everybody sure. who's there. So why is this one thing to that one, one thing that they have been um, trying to do is also open, make it much more artist friendly. This actually, the blockchain will allow artists to go direct to consumer on a much easier basis. Right. And understand who their customers are, everyone who's going into their venue. But that assumes that the volume you still have to deal with the issue of on sales are still going to be massively complex and no one's ever been able to figure out a new on sale. Totally. And the fact that Live Nation has ticketing agreements with every venue. Uh, so in, I don't in North America. anything SeatGeek. I don't get it. Anything SeatGeek can do, Live Nation can do, or Ticketmaster can do at greater scale. This isn't about this tweet that you put up. I don't think is about SeatGeek. It's about the possibilities for ticketing in general. I think the Got easiest it. way to think about it for now, though, is just the collect the ticket as a collectible attached um, to the the point of entry. A lot of the other things and applications that you're talking about are things that Ticketmaster has been working on through the digital ticket away from the actual blockchain itself. Will they use blockchain technology at some point? It seems inevitable, yes, that they will if the cost is low enough. Don't forget, it's not that surprisingly not that high of a margin business. They're scaling. You sell millions and millions of tickets a year, all these other things, right? that need to be taken into consideration. 
Okay, we have two fun slides oh, to but wrap one up more this thing. week. If you oh, yeah, did, sorry. This is on Live Nation Ticketmaster. Bonnaroo on sale. Um, that's going to be Labor Day weekend. Full festival, you know, no restrictions that that I saw. But they also put an NFT drop in with, uh, with the on sale. Meaning so, each ticket is Not NFT? each ticket, but they did... Um, they did. I think there's one NFT that's like five grand that's you know available for purchase, and then ten that are like a thousand bucks each. And I think they were just like um, NFT show posters. Did they come but with incremental rights it shows or anything? You, or? No. I think there was a. They came with a lotto for a VIP package. Got it. Okay, but there's so a let's lot move on to our. As we have two fun slides to end. So this is the Hollywood Reporter. Tesla mogul Elon Musk is set to join Endeavor's board of directors, the company disclosed Wednesday. So remember, we talked about last week that Endeavor was planning to buy the rest of UFC, which we thought made sense to go public. They filed this week again, and the, the plan is to use proceeds to go buy the remaining 50 or 49% of, of UFC that they don't currently own and basically transform it into an operating company. Sort of out of left field is Elon Musk joining the board. I don't think I expect that. That's the guy you want on your board, though, because every every asset that Elon says to buy goes up. I don't um, know why else he would be on that board. That's <laughs> a smart guy. Yeah, oh, it sounds I mean, like, look, a, like why is he interested even sending in? people to Mars some someday? I mean. If it means anything, the last time and it's been it's been several years, but the last time I went to the Golden Globes, I was at the HBO party and the person that was there hobnobbing with every single person in Hollywood was Elon Musk. So he's obviously had a long he's had a long you know interest in in, in Hollywood. So there may be that angle, too, if he just loves I mean, who doesn't like Hollywood you know, for billionaires. Rich, Elon has, has been a great closing tweet for us um, over our 50 episodes, but I think we have an even better closing tweet for this week. Can you bring, please bring we, that up? Well, because it brings so many of our favorite topics all rolled into one. Well, it's also just, I think, an incredible tweet. So it's less to do with the topics being rolled in one. It's it's the fact that for our podcast listeners, you have Marcelo, Marcelo Claret, the former CEO of Sprint and now um, vice chairman or whatever he is, a top guy at SoftBank, um, <clears throat> tweeting, quote tweeting, um, an, an Axios story about the WeWork SPAC thing. And Axios was saying why it matters. It's a giant middle finger to critics, many of whom left WeWork for dead even before the pandemics eviscerated its business. So Marcelo is, I think, taking a bow somehow for this SPAC purchase, putting up three middle finger emojis in his tweet. Love this article for all the non-believers of WeWork. So- well, it's a wait, fact. And also, wait, you have to point out wait, wait, the arrows. You have to point out the arrows. Well, he's putting the arrows towards where he would put his middle finger. So I don't think that's really that interesting part of the tweet, Rich. But anyway, so the so I think what's fascinating about this is he's taking a bow for a SPAC that's not yet complete. Let's remind people that SoftBank invested at a $47 billion valuation. It's now they've marked it down to eight. The SPAC is valuing it at nine. So it's not like it's a step up in valuation. SoftBank themselves put nine to ten billion dollars into this. Marcelo, according to press reports, negotiated the transaction with Adam Newman that developed a lot of controversy. I think there's now an Adam Newman documentary that I will be watching this weekend on Hulu, and we will talk about that next week. As part of this transaction, SoftBank is paying Adam Newman another fifty million dollars for his legal fees, another fifty million dollars, and extending. His loan has $430 million loan to SoftBank for five years. So you wrote down an investment from $47 billion to nine. You paid Adam Newman another $100 million. You extended his loan and you're giving people the bird. By the way, how much has of WeWork's employees have been reduced over the past oh. year? Now, obviously that's pandemic, sure. but like you're putting the middle finger up and there's what half, if not a two thirds of their employees have been reduced. Like who's getting the middle finger in this situation. It's crazy. It is. It is so, you know, it's, 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 tone, it's beyond tone. It's beyond tone deck. Like this it is, is one year, by the way, also interesting because it's the one year anniversary of the sprint T-Mobile transaction where sprint was bailed out. It was a probably a $1 stock. It was bailed out. were not for the fact that 
<laughs> that T-Mobile acquired the company because they were burning cash and <laughs> levered to the hilt. So it's just, to me, it, 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 that is by far the tweet of the week. Well done, Marcelo. Um, has the, you know, like from SoftBank, do you think like they change behavior coming out of the pa- the pandemic? Like, do you think this has fundamentally changed how they're going to invest going forward? Do you think we're going to see the same stuff, you know, in at, over the next 12 or 18 months as we come out of what we've dealt with over the last year? Well, it, it's hard to, to make it rain when you've run out of cash. Remember, the first fund was um, largely funded by um, the Saudis, um, MBS was the largest chunk of the first fund. The second fund has been a lot smaller. Obviously, they're going to have some monetizations. A lot of the assets have done well. The stock has done well. Um, there's right. probably ways to raise cash, but they don't obviously have the $100 billion of firepower that they had from that started like something like WeWork. But investment styles, I don't think, have changed. I mean, I think they dabbled a little bit in buying public stocks for a couple of weeks. Then they bought some derivatives for another couple of weeks. So Marcelo's investing in some Latin American in- investments, but... Um, I don't know how you take. I don't know how you can take a bow on WeWork, though. I mean, it's amazing. I guess we should play outro music. I think he maybe he's just saying since he since he took over, they've steadied the ship despite all of uh, steadied the ship. ship. Steadied the ship by reducing their employee count by what? By the way, what was the? I went to our WeWork. (laughs) Our WeWork was like empty. It was a ghost town. Speaking of employee reductions, how are the employee numbers looking at Sprint T-Mobile based on what was promised to? Uh, amazing this is, this amazing is, stuff. Rich is Miami right here. When are you I coming like back, Rich? Sunday, unfortunately, but yeah, I'll be back Sunday. All right. I hope you go bouncing. And what's with the bananas, Brandon? Now, on the way out, what's with the bananas? There's a lot of bananas. I brought it up. I tried to bring it up. Is that because of all the the apes on Reddit? Because you keep getting all these replies to all your tweets with bananas in them from all the Reddit crew. Why is the Reddit all about apes? Like, what is the connection between Reddit and apes? How do I know? But they send you bananas, and half the time I get caught up in it and get tagged in it. I don't get the ape thing at all, but... That is episode 50, everyone. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye.